All right, you ready for Revelation chapter 17? Let me give you some little bit of background as we were in chapter 19 on Sunday. Um, last Wednesday, of course, we finished chapter 16. Chapter 16, the final bowl judgment, or the, the final bowl of God's judgment, we can see, has been poured out. And now John will be told of what um, has become of the Antichrist religious system referred to as the, the Great Babylon, as you notice back in chapter 16, verse 19. Now the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. So he was even speaking here in this previous chapter that there, he's going to unveil some things that this religious system, and we're going to see tonight from chapter 17, it's this description of the tribulation period and a religious system that's in place. And so um, the backgrounds that Satan has always tried to distract humanity from worshiping God. He will always be doing that. This began in the Garden of Eden and it continues to take various forms and expressions as you know, Satan will continue to deceive people into following his plan for humanity. He has a plan for humanity. You know that Jesus actually told us that Satan has a plan for humanity as well. God has one. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And the counterfeiter, the one who's always trying to come up with some knockoff, Satan himself, he has a plan too. Jesus said this is his plan. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. That, that's his plan for humanity. Well, we know clear back in, you know, the Garden of Eden, we know what God said. And then the Satan then says, has God not said? A distortion, a twisting, a ringing of the word, and then as bringing about a, a false summary. Well, God said it's okay, didn't he? Well, actually, no, he didn't. But to manipulate the word and torque it and twist it to meet a different agenda is something he has always done. Well, we're looking at a point that's in the future. It's during the tribulation period. And the church will have already been removed, raptured, taken up, you know, rapidly removed into heaven. And that tribulation period will then begin. Sometime right along the part of our departure, then Satan will come in and, and have the answers and seemingly the power and the ability and, and everything necessary to, to settle a disturbed world. And so that's where we're at. But we're also, as we read this, we're seeing that we're, we're, we're getting stuff from heaven and from, from what's happening on earth. And so, you know, we're going to see as we track through this letter, we're rapidly closing it. Um, he'll, John will, will speak what he needs to. He's like, and, and then I saw, or then I was moved, and then this. So he gives us a change of scenes, so to speak. So we're now, okay, now let's, this is what's happening here. Let's pick up, let's read the first six verses of chapter 17 and then go from there. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me, saying to me, come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, 
And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which is full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. So we have here the religious system. What we're going to see tonight is this first uh, chapter we're looking at, chapter 17, talks about what the Bible refers to as this harlot, this this this. Babylon the Great. It's the religion of the tribulation period. And this, this religion will be carried about, if you would, by the beast, ultimately by Satan himself. As you read there, maybe you picked up, this, this woman, the system, is riding upon the beast, which we know to be you know, Satan himself, his instrument. And so it'll appear... The beast is under the power of Babylon, correct? Because Babylon is riding on the beast. But in reality, Satan is merely propping up this, this religious system, this counterfeit church, so to speak, until the right time to crush it. He's actually, it's a, it's a method that we've seen historically. Even going back with communist countries, you can go back even with Hitler. Hitler invited religious leaders and even supported them and actually kind of promoted them until his, his uh, preferred power had its fingers and had, had a system in to where basically he let them help him gain power with the masses. And then he started killing them, the religious leaders, because he didn't need them anymore. Well, it's kind of a thing we see even in here because this, this religious system seems to be um, you know, the way to go. Now, you, we, the framework, the time frame is what's important for us to see because we're seeing pieces of this coming together already. That this one world religious system, everybody, you know, getting along, taping a piece of this and a piece of this and a piece of that and looking at, the, oh, that all works together. We'll just all fit together. I had an experience when I came out here um, a couple years so it was like 21 years ago, a couple years into the ministry here, desiring to be really, you know, connected with other Christians and other churches and stuff. Um, I started participating in a uh, ministerial association. And at that time, things may have changed. It may not be meeting now. I don't know. But at that time, I was invited to come and, and told that I was to present to the community. We want to extend a, a unity with our Muslim brothers. Through Abraham, we are there united. And we're also to extend this unity in others that teach about a different Jesus, that don't even teach the, the, the gospel. But we want to present to the community unity. When I said, we're not united. Why do we want to imply we're united? Because we're not. And, and I was confused. And, and he talked to me after the meeting and said, well, you're young, you know, you're, you're, you're just getting started, you know, and, and I'm like, it's not going to change. 
And I wasn't being defiant. I'm just, the word of God is clear. We're not to present unity when there's disunity. We're not to say everything's the same. That's what this world system is pressing. There's one, one group of people that will never fit in this system ever. You. Christians will never fit. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. He didn't say that in bold arrogance, but passionate, compassionate declaration. Because it's the only means by which a man can be saved. And so the system we're seeing, and we're seeing it more and more. You, you You don't get it from the news, but if you start watching reliable sources through various ministries that are a part of the involved and invested into certain countries, you know Christians are being killed right now simply because they're Christians. They're being jailed simply because they're not of the government religion. So this whole system is in place. It's just going to think how it's going to be ramped up and amped up when the tribulation period starts. When this is going on, because the church will be removed, God will still have the Holy Spirit in, a sense, in present, but his influence will shift by his design. And so the restraining force, which he has put, placed within the church function and purpose, that will be removed, and he will then allow Satan to actually have a greater power and greater reign through the tribulation period. And so this religious system will be what he's, Satan first promotes. He'll, he'll bring this system because there will be chaos, there will be confusion. It'll be able to promote this as a one-world system. And everybody will be all in on it. And it'll appear to even be the, the, the primary thing. We see in verse 4 this woman who was arrayed in purple and scarlet. She was basically clothed in emblems of luxury, This system. It seems to be successful. It seems to be profitable. It seems to be popular. It is popular. In reality, it's immoral and it's powerless before the living God. But because God is not pouring out his judgment in the sense of on this system, he will do that in perfect timing towards the end of the the tribulation period. So, verse 5, we're told that it's titled or referenced or used this analogy, if you would, of Babylon. So the word comes from Babel in Genesis 11. Mankind was deceived once again. First happened in Garden of Eden, but then we can see another reference in Genesis 9. Mankind was deceived to go against what God specifically said. Genesis 9, God said to Noah, be fruitful and multiply and fill the whole earth. In Genesis 11, man says, let's build a tower and reach to reach, one that will reach to heaven and, and then we can settle in so that we're not scattered around the earth. Settle in or go fill the earth are two different things, correct? One says, I'm, let's just settle in right here. We'll build this, this tower, this thing, this ziggurat, this multi-platform thing that can get us to heaven. And, and it's really fascinating because God basically said, I'm just going to confuse you. I'm going to just disturb and distort your languages because you're going against what I've said to do. Well, this, that's the origin, if you will, with this Babylon system. Babel later became known as Babylon. Babel means what? Confusion. Confusion. This one world system seeming to fix everything is going to create more confusion. And it didn't just happen in Genesis 11. 
hit the hold button, pause, until the tribulation. It's on play every day. It's taking place even in our lives right now. This system that is an, uh, it's a counterfeit, it's an opposite. Whether we call it secular humanism, where you believe humanity can gather together and somehow save the planet and do great things and you know, take the place of God, so to speak, which is really the most popular thing. Or whether you see it you know, with the, gosh, what are some of the new trends? You know, there's this, this uh, kind of a mindset that there's no absolute truth and there's all this foolishness, this progressive Christianity, which is not progressive, it's regressive. That actually is the new Gnosticism. Gnosis, the new knowledge, having higher knowledge, putting focus on knowledge, you know, it's shown itself as in the old age, which is called the new age, it's, it's shown itself in the quote, the new things. It always seems to have that, effect, that influence, you know. Oh, it's new. Almost like the people in our age and our time have itching ears, always longing to hear something new or something like that. Some book, old book said, a book called the Bible referred to that. That there's, there's always wanting this new thing. It's nothing new under the sun, according to Ecclesiastes. That these things will continue to come and they're going to get bigger and bigger. And this, as we see here, this system is actually going down in this chapter. Now, in verse 7, we see the angel said to, to John, Why did you marvel? I will tell you the mystery. Now, mystery speaks of previously hidden truth. It's something that God has always known, but he reveals or unveils at a particular point in history. I'll tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to destruction, or some translations say perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. So there's this marveling, and perhaps at what deception and death this system has brought upon the world. I'm sure John just like, it wasn't like, oh, that's impressive type of a marveling. And, and the angel said, why, why, do you, why are you kind of captivated by that or you know, stirred by that? And then he tells us about it a little bit. I believe verse 7 and 8 are possibly, probably referring to the beast recovering from a mortal wound. Because it says that they are, it speaks of he was and is not. Or there at the latter part of verse 8, you know, the beast that was and is not and yet is. Um, this, this antichrist, this three-headed leader between, uh, as we see from the, uh, tri- during the tribulation period, um, experiences a mortal wound and seems to recover. Satan is a master of deception, one who counterfeits every important thing God does or says. He counterfeits everything. He counterfeits the Trinity. He counterfeits the birth of Christ. Nimrod, I believe, was married to Semiramis. Semiramis, was, his wife, was the one who was an idol worshiper. I can't remember her son's name. But her son, um, she claimed he was born of a virgin. And so she, she, she gave birth to him but didn't have normal intercourse. 
And then the son uh, was attacked by a beast, was actually, uh, some have said it's a, the translation tells us is a wild pig, and died, was dead for quite a while, and then rose from the grave. So what would that possibly be counterfeiting? Mocking historically hundreds of years before the true virgin birth. And so we see, you see, and like I say, you can look at several different key passages and important elements of Scripture, and Satan's a counterfeiter. He, he wants to deceive and mislead people. Well, as we look at this and continue on into verse 9, and you may have noticed, I'm going to touch on a few things. And one thing I, I do want to, don't want to overlook is that the, whose names are not written in the book of life. You know, there's, there's a distinct difference between those who are saved and those who are not throughout history. And we see even in this tribulation period, when the church is removed, the mercy of God is still present. He is still calling people to himself. He is still inviting people. And it, and it says here that some are not yet written into the book of life. Because we know during the tribulation period, some will come to Christ. So it's an interesting thing because I go back and forth trying to interpret and sort this out. Are our names written as some passages indicate they're written from the very beginning, which we know that to be true. But are they written and then removed that your name not be blotted out? Or are they only written in once you come to Christ? You see, because if you study the, the particular topic, you'll probably do like most people and Scratch your head a little bit. It's okay. When you get there, it'll all get figured out. If you still have that question in heaven, well, you won't. Because <laughs> you'll be there and you will not be concerned about that stuff. But it's good for us to have to work through these things and ponder and wonder and meditate and kind of sort it out back and forth. Because God has his ways of doing it and he, his word encompasses and involves everything that pertains to life and godliness. So he does reveal, he does teach, he just walks us through. And I figure sometimes I'm a first grader, just barely getting a handle on addition and subtraction, and I'm asking questions about trigonometry, and I can't even spell it. It's kind of the spiritual journey to some degree. So, hey, let's continue on in the tribulation. There will be, as I've mentioned, a religious system, verse uh, 9. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Now, some have taken this to be Rome because Rome is known for being the, the city of the seven hills, seven mountains. Um, okay, uh, let's continue with the t- passage and can hopefully catch the context. There are also seven kings, five have fallen, one is, and the other has yet to come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. Did I manage to lose everybody? (laughs) So I think we can break this down a little bit, at least something to consider. Uh, Most scholars lean towards this. The five nations that have fallen probably refers to the five world empires before John's day. We know them to be Egypt, Assyria, Babylonia, Medo-Persia, and Greece. One that is would then be the next in line in that order after Greece, which we know to be not Greco-Roman, but the next part to that is the Roman Empire. That's the one. The Roman Empire is the one that imprisoned John on the island of Patmos. So that leaves us with the other that has not yet come. And it, it refers to a, a one-world empire to come, probably a 
at least to some measure, according to prophecy, a revival of the Roman Empire that now has, has been parked for a couple thousand years. It says that when he comes, he, he must continue a short time. So if the seventh is this uh, Roman Empire, we, we then wonder, you know, the seventh will be quickly taken over by the eighth. And it will become what I think of as the state of the Antichrist. Another thing to consider, the seventh, being the Roman Empire, will seem to die and come back to life. So this revived Roman Empire is there, and then seems to die, but comes back to life quickly. That could be, the seventh could also be the revived seventh, would be the eighth kingdom after he's brought back to life. So some things to think about, you know, um, let me continue with verse 12, the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. One hour just tells us a very brief moment, very short period. I would suggest to you to consider at least that one hour might actually be in this context three and a half years from the time of the abomination that brings desolation when the Antichrist stands in the newly rebuilt or the rebuilt uh, Jerusalem temple and proclaims himself to be worshipped then they only have the three and a half years after that this is in all probability this may be a revised confederacy of nations or possibly a confederacy of powerful leaders men people have considered the European Union because that's our contemporary reference it could be this could be that that 10 nation uh, organization or confederacy that'll be a part of this coming uh, tribulation system uh, possible I, I don't throw away the possibility it's corporately connected and interdependent I wouldn't have said that three years ago I wouldn't have said that till about midway through 2020 and, and I'm real firm and I'm very uh, interested in studying it currently because there is, there's been a shift on this planet as far as power and control. There's, money's always controlled governments. But things have shifted now to where corporates are more powerful. Corporations are more powerful than, than most governments. Well, actually, I could present to you why. Considering the board and who's on who's and who's all intertwined, corporations are way bigger than governments. It's pretty fascinating. Anyway, I don't worry about that. I just know it's going to happen, and we should consider what will it look like? What will it be? Uh, This is probably a fulfillment of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, if you remember that, in Daniel chapter 2, verses 24 to 45. Daniel is interpreting, because God gave him the dream and the interpretation to present to Nebuchadnezzar, the leader. And in that dream, it refers to the ten toes, which are mixed with... Uh, dirt and iron, I think it is. Anyway, but indicating that they're not very strong. So consider that. Moving on, we see now these are of one mind, speaking of that, what I just referred to, verse 13, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. So they'll be under him. They'll, they'll you know, be with him. These will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful will be with him at that time. In this battle that's going to ensue, this battle of Armageddon, we don't fight. We rejoice. 
God does not need us to come alongside him. He can literally just speak them into existence and speak them out of existence. And so these nations that we know and from other passages in Ezekiel and other places, these nations, this confederacy at one point, there's another one out of Ezekiel 36 that speaks of this group from Russia and from the, the north that will come and invade Israel and just be decimated. And even Israel's enemies will declare God delivered Israel. It won't be Israel's, you know, technical power and their military prowess. It'll be God alone that delivered them. We see that consistently even when God is doing a work. It's pretty obvious it's him. I love this because those who are called, he's king of kings and lord of lords. In the tribulation period, he is still on the throne. He is still in control. Even though logically people would scratch their heads, we won't be there, we'll have a different view But uh, verse 16, well, actually, I'm sorry, 15. Then he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. This speaks of a one world religion, all of them united. That's what, when you see it speaking that way of people's tongues, nations, conveying outside Israel. These are all these Gentiles that have come together. Verse 16, and the 10 horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it in their hearts to fulfill his purpose, to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. So this political economic Babylon will turn on what we've read about as the religious Babylon. If you can see it, because we're actually going to carry into chapter 18 tonight, which will be this uh, political economic Babylon. And so probably at the time of, I mentioned when the Antichrist comes in to the Holy of Holies, the newly rebuilt temple, and declares himself to be worshipped, declares himself to be God, it's probably at that time that then that this whole religious system will start coming apart. Um, Satan's allowed, even pr- promoted this false religion. He's carried it. That's what the beast conveys. But when he's done with it, and he then is not, the system's no longer to be worshipped. The purpose of him carrying it in such a fashion is that so he can cast it off and then be the one to receive the worship from humanity. He'll then cast off the harlot and show himself as the one that people are to worship. Notice that it says in verse 17, for God has put it. And you may even interpret or or in your mind translate that to mean, but God. See, he has this plan, but God accomplished his purposes even in those who defy him. You know, prophetically, his he will accomplish all he intended to do. We won't go, oh, you know what? I didn't think the Antichrist would be that way. I had no idea the timing. I thought, I thought it would be better. He, he, everything. It doesn't mean that he creates evil and then uses evil to accomplish good. But rather evil is that which is even, you could say, good that turns on God. But he can use those things to accomplish a good purpose. Perhaps what was meant for evil, God has turned and used for good. And so, Babylon, you see in verse 18, the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. We're going to carry into that now. I, will, I do need to mention, you know, it's referred to as harlot. Um, the religious system it refers to it as a harlot more because throughout Scripture, 
God refers to as, you know, his nation, Israel, most specifically in the Old Testament. They're married to him. They have joined to him. They have, you know, benefited from the relationship. But yet then they would go whoring around with the, the, the pleasures of this world. They would join in with other nations. They would seek out things that are contrary, counter to God's instruction. And so he uses that term as a harlot. You're just you're like someone who commits, and then at first opportunity, you just go seeking whatever you want, and then you come back like there's no big deal, and you didn't do it. And so it's really not, nobody would consider that to be a complimentary term. <laughs> it's a corrective term, and, it, and it's very uh, direct in, in regards to how God is calling them out. Verse 18, as we've seen there, um, is this Babylon. Um, it, it's called a great city, which reigns over the kings of the earth. I think we're, we're going to look at the two now as this, religious and the socio or political economic it's probably an actual city, honestly. I, I, I can't help but deviate because it says it's a city, so I don't, I don't get to symbolize it. I don't get to, well, maybe it means this or a gathering. And there's places the word used is used that way in the Bible, but it's, it's, it leads you. It's like, if it says it's like a city, you have liberty to kind of figure out what that means. If it just says it's a great city, we have to keep it really simple in a sense, like it's probably a city. Well, if it's an actual city, I believe it's going to be modern-day Babylon in Iraq. Um, consider this. Even after Saddam Hussein's death in 2006, the future Babylon project was underway. U.S., the United States State, State Department, provided $700,000 under President Obama in order to fund this project. There's a touch of twisted mentality there when we consider what we say publicly as a nation, but what we do financially for Israel. And during that era of the United States leadership, there was no support of the Israel project. But covertly, money is directed to this Babylon project. I find it fascinating when you start uncovering these things. Like, wow, that's interesting that we would support that and, and actually fund to a portion. Babylon may be a different city or it could be this historical city. Either way, it will probably be the, the global capital in regards to religion, politics, and commerce. Wherever it happens to be, um, spiritual Babylon, as I'm referring to it out of this chapter, is, is called Mystery Babylon. This system will be destroyed by the Antichrist as he forces people to worship him. Let's move right on into chapter 18, verses 1 through 3. After these things, so we, we started the chapter with, you know, the, 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 the angel saying, hey, come check this out. And then it says, after that, or after these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. You know, some have indicated maybe this is Jesus. I don't, I just, it just says it's another angel. A pretty, like, upper echelon angel, you know what I'm saying? This is not just, you know, your average guy, if there is an average angel, so to speak. We know there's Gabriel and Michael, are referred to as archangels. We know in Ephesians 6 that we're told that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. What do we, what kind of, what do we wrestle against? Well, there's a, almost a hierarchy, a structure, an order. 
We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers and against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So God, there is order even in all of this, even though it doesn't seem that way. And so knowing that, you know, this particular angel is given specific distinction, great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. It definitely sparked some curiosity. And he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a bird for every unclean and hate, or a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. So the abundance of her luxury is interesting. In spite of the terrible conditions during the tribulation period, literally millions upon millions of people have died. Atmospheric problems, localized problems, global problems. In spite of that, many will experience affluence and prosperity from the demonic rule they are under. It's no problem for Satan to distribute wealth, for the wealth that he distributes is the wealth that's of this world. It's, a, it's an economic system that's, that's it's earthly and not heavenly. There is one distinction that we could maybe consider, the difference between the two. Earthly, gold is held in high esteem. Heavenly, it's pavement. He paves the streets with gold. That conveys a different value, agreed? You don't have, you don't go to the bank and deposit asphalt. They don't take it. You see what I'm saying? I mean, he basically conveying this. It's, it's a different economic system, a different value base. But in this place where we know Satan is the ruler of this age, and how much more when the restraining one is removed, where he can distribute of these perceived wealthy things and create affluence. And many people, if they had that, they're willing to trade their soul for it. Even if you could gain everything, what does it profit a man if he would gain the entire world and cost him his soul? Choose, I'll just take this. I actually had a, I know of a couple people that have, I, I really believe they've actually embraced this. You know what? I'm going to take what I can get now and see how it works out. It's not a guess. It's documented. This is how it works out. You sell your soul, you rot in hell. That's the deal. It's not complex. Oh my gosh, you can't say that. That's going to hurt someone's feelings. I'd rather have them to have their feelings hurt and be rescued from the horrible place called hell that they would choose to go and not be deceived by the appearance of wealth in this world, which will completely come apart. Completely. Well, let's just read on. It'll tell us what's going to take place. This demonic system will be characterized by excessive commercial and personal greed. And Jesus will crush the system. Verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, unless you receive of her plagues. So God, I believe, is, is calling, even in this latter part of the tribulation period, he's still calling people. Say, listen, step away from this. 
look at the road. When you're on a road, it's taking you somewhere. And you travel, no matter how fast, it's still going to take you there. And he's saying, don't do this. Don't go there. We read in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. That's a word to the church, even before the church is removed. It's an ongoing word because the word will still be here when we check out. Our lives will be a testimony of God's presence. So that's a word to you and me, to those who will be here the initial generation right after the rapture, going into the tribulation. And even to the end of the tribulation, God is saying, you know, don't go there. Come to me. All you are weary and heavy laden. You know, it's continued to be projected, but there will come a point, and we're going to see it in chapter 19, where he does shut the door. He does say, you know, you, it's, the time has passed. God is always calling his people to separate from the trickery and the deception and the temporary glimmer of this world. Have you ever been distracted by a shiny thing? You know, I remember one time I was up on the hills and I'm on one side of the canyon and I see a shiny thing. I don't even remember what I thought it was, but obviously I thought it was something important. Like, I, I don't know what I thought it was. I was willing to climb down in the canyon up the other side for the leftover chunk of a Mylar balloon. <laughs> Couldn't sell it on eBay or nothing. I mean, it's like, it's just, it, but it, it was a good memory for me. It's a temporary shimmer. Ooh, what is that? Part of it is curiosity, part of it's stupidity, part of youthful energy. I don't know. Some of those, hopefully some of those are gone. So um, let's continue on in verse 5. For the sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Remember what we were talking about back with the Tower of Babel? God knew what men were doing before men even realized what they were doing. And he intervened, interfered in a good way with the construction of that man-made religion. And God knows the actions and the heart of men. There are consequences to our actions. And hopefully we can realize that and recognize we live in a time with a closeness and an awareness and, and God speaking to us about repentance and speaking to us about, you know, really humility and, and, and learning of him. And when we, even now, if we resist, there's consequences to our actions. Verse 6 Render to her just as she rendered to you, and repay her double according to her works in the cup which she has mixed, mixed double for her. In the measure that she gloriously she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow and will not sorrow. We're speaking of this, this Babylon, this social or this political economic system, this world system, this one world economy, this uh, mark of the beast business sense, if you would. Therefore, her plagues, we're, we're reading in verse 8, will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. Judgment, in summary of that verse, those passages, judgment is poured out on all who worshiped the beastly worldly system. 
I said this last week, I will reiterate it tonight. Someone who takes the mark of the beast knowingly takes the mark of the beast. They do it for financial gain. They do it for um, kind of a, a, a social gain. Um, they do it to worship the financial system. They do it to worship the beast. They don't do it just like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I want a new tattoo. It's not, it's not going to be done ignorantly or like unknowingly. It's a conscious decision to worship other than God. It's a conscious decision to say, I don't want God. I'm aware of that system. I'm aware of those things. It's only been five and a half years since they got rid of all them Christians and it's been a better place ever since. Some will say that. I'm confident because people say dumb things. But guess what? You know, this, God is in control. There's going to be, they're going to, those who embrace this will do it knowingly. And I believe that actually even knowing the consequences and say, I don't care. As long as I get mine today, I don't care how it goes down. Continuing to see, we must be on about uh, verse 9, right? The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning. I wonder how this is going to happen. You know what I thought just this afternoon? As I come, my brain was kind of fogging up as it does sometimes when I'm using it. Um, I was just thinking, what if, what if there's some means by which the whole electrical system as we know it was just shut down? It just didn't work. This wasn't there. Would that have any impact on, the, on the, the structure, the flow of life in our world? Would it affect financial institutions? Would it affect daily living? So, I mean, I, I'm, just, I'm just thinking real simple. I'm not thinking about all these other ways where we, these, these like, you know, different weapons can be used that would work in that same fashion. But what if just certain things were just changed and just stopped? You could go back to actually pen and paper. And that's limited because at some point you're going to be writing on a tablet because you're going to run out of paper because you can't produce it. You see what I'm saying? I mean, some of the things are so simply taken for granted. You could easily, God could easily go, just done. You're not going to have that anymore. And then people would adapt. We see it's going to happen instantaneously. Those who have put their hope in it, they will weep. We have had times like the Great Depression. We've had times even with the dot-com debacle. We've had times where people in despair are willing to commit suicide. Because of the duress, because of the stress, because of the situation, whether it's national or global, they're just like, ah, I can't believe it. I, I was hoping for this in retirement. I knew I invested my whole life to this. Everything I have is now gone. It's going to be that in a very extreme way. I'm glad we're not going to be there. I'm, I'm glad I really am. See, we're looking now in verse 10, standing a distance at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, the great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. Swift judgment, we can see. Let's continue on. I want to read through the next flow of verses because it conveys to us what takes place and it identifies some, certain, some things and it conveys there was this system and everything's in place and everything's going well and guess what happens in verse 11? And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold 
and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every, kind, every object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, marble, verse 13, and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and bodies and souls of men. The fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, the great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour, such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance and cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing and saying, Alas, alas, the great, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she is made desolate. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets. For God has avenged you on her. This is the moment that many have pondered when would happen. Even in our generation. This is the moment when people have seen a world system and a religious system that abuses and torments and murders and plunders and rapes Christians. And treats God people like they're disposable. And we can't figure out sometimes why God allows that to happen. Why does that take place? I can't answer that. But I can say he's not ignorant. He's not unaware. It says right here that this is the time that God has avenged you on her. Those apostles, those saints, those people in our age. And those even more so, I would say, contextually during the tribulation period, where it seems in that time more than our time. In that time, it will see that God, it'll seem that God is dead, that God is not. The good has been removed, and it would seem there is no good left. People are taking advantage of one another. There's a system in place. The rich are getting richer in a mega way, like beyond. Do you consider what we just read? It speaks of wealth and prosperity, and I don't believe it's for everybody. I I just don't see Satan doing it that way. But the majority of people, they're they're really like, is this really way better? This is way better than when that church thing was around. Man, they clearly were the problem. Look at what we've got. And in an hour, just in a moment, everything will come to a halt. You will no longer have access to anything. It'll shut down in a moment of terror. That's the tribulation period. That's when God says, it's done. It is over. Look in verse 21. This is an analogy, a picture we're given, a graphic example showing that this satanic system will sink and never rise again. Verse 21. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city of Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. 
The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you anymore. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. Verse 23, the light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. And the voice of a bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery, all the nations were deceived. All the partying, all the mocking, all the immorality, everything that was happened, it's come to an end. There will be no next generation. It's kind of what's being conveyed when there'll be no more marrying. It just, this is it. It's not going to come back. There will be no next generation, is the way I see it. What caught my attention in one sense, and you can entertain this considering the last couple years, for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. You know the word there? Pharmakia. Pharmakia is the word used there. It's sorcery. Uh, By your pharmacy, by your medications, all the world, it says, All the nations were deceived. And it doesn't mean just that medical side. But you've got to be curious about some of the things that have taken place. And the policies and administrative things that were put in place in the last couple years at the expense of bedside needs. You know, nurses and those doing, you know, bedside care, they have a good handle on what needs to be done. But in a growing fashion over the last 25, 20 years... Corporations have taken over hospitals. Corporations define policy. Administrators who are more policy-oriented, bean-counter-based, money-driven to some degree, these corporations are determining what happens at bedside. You just work that out and see how, how you settle with that. And I'm not opposed to the medical system. I'm just looking at this. There's, just, there's an infiltration There's an infiltration currently in the church that's representative of this end time, this last time, this tribulation time church. Because there's things in the church that are happening that are just as horrible as some of the things that we've seen to happen medically. Because there's an infiltration. And not every person who calls himself a Christian is born again. Not every church who has the name church has anything to do with being the called out ones of the ecclesia. And so we live in these days. But I'm also encouraged because we see God is in control. It says, closing it out in verse 24, And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. It will be a culmination of a system that's currently functioning. Does that make sense? This religious system, and it started in the Garden of Eden, so we don't want to make somehow make it look like this generation is the, oh, we're really bad. Well, we've just added on for what we've received. But it started in the Garden of Eden, where man chose to receive information at the expense of truth. And God gave them the truth, and they chose to believe otherwise, and experience the consequences. And as I touched on on Sunday, the next significant event after they're evicted from the Garden of Eden is one of the son, the older son kills a younger son because he wanted to worship or react to God, you know, respond to God's instruction. Cain, he just did it his way. 
And God said, that's, that's not my instruction. So much that he got mad at somebody who did it God's way. Mad enough to actually kill his brother. And then arrogant enough to say, am I my brother's keeper? That's the beginning of religion. And we see another peak of this graph of religion in the Tower of Babel. And you see it in other places. And so I look at it and go, that, that's happening. What I want to do and what I know you want to do, I want to be careful where I, where I stand lest I fall. I don't want to assume that that happened to them before. Because according to, I believe it's 1 Corinthians 10. Let me make sure it's either 1 Corinthians or 2 because it isn't 3. It's, it's 1 Corinthians 10. These things happened for our learning, our instruction, our admonition that we would learn from them. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. And we're stirred and not with joy, I guess, in the sense that we consider what's happening in these last days that are soon to come about as we see people rejecting you and defiant before you. And Lord, we, we pray for your mercy, for we know it's extended. We pray for your kingdom to come, your will to be done. For we, you know, we know that you, you desire all men to, to come to know you. And so, Lord, as we would consider what's coming, may we also consider where we are. May we not in any way give in or look away. May we not be pompous or in any way arrogant that we would think, well, I'm, I'm okay. I'm not, I'm not going through the tribulation. I'm, I'm good. God, may our hearts be softened by your presence, aware of your love. God, may we be teachable people that can learn from you. And may we not embrace any element, any aspect of stubbornness, of that which is earthly, sensual, and demonic. According to your word, that is the wisdom of this world. May we be people pliable in your hands. Search us and see if there's any wicked way within. And the Lord lead us in the way everlasting. Thank you, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.